there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real. You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for? There's something going on up there at night. Woods. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What would fairies really look like? Really look like. What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me? Me. Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly. When we left you last time, we just discovered that a woman who Elliot Waters had referred to as a changeling had jumped or fallen to her death from a bridge in Seattle. Left behind atop the bridge were her phone, a notebook, and her earbuds. Apparently, she'd been listening to the latest episode of this podcast right before her death. Fairy is a podcast production available exclusively on Spotify. From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Whale, you're listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. Before we get into this episode proper, I wanted to take a step back and consider where we're at so far and where we might be headed. I started this podcast because I became fascinated with Elliot Waters, a man who'd stepped in front of a bus. I pulled him out of that intersection and after hearing his story, yanked him right into my professional life. Now, I've dragged Waters into your lives, and the story I set out to tell has begun to change, dramatically. What began as the profile of a man who believes in the existence of fairies, that they come from a world apart from or adjacent to our own, and that there's a wide-ranging conspiracy to keep that world's existence secret, has slowly turned into something else. My initial concerns and interests remain, of course, but This is starting to feel more complicated and layered, almost like an exploration into the nature of nature itself crossed with some kind of deep, strange conspiracy. 
Digging into these very real-world investigations, the disappearances of real people with real lives, none of this stuff was in the pitch document I emailed to my producer, Nick Silver. The mysterious department, an order allegedly descended from ancient druids, weird old cosmic gods from the Fade, fairies with special abilities, groups of disappearing people, and at the center of it all, Elliot Waters. A man asking me to believe that fairies exist, have been away from our world for about 10 years, and have now returned for some reason, and that nobody really seems to care. But right now, somebody did care about the things we've been looking into with this podcast. The police cared, quite a bit, especially considering the fact that the woman had been listening to this podcast as she ended her life, and that my name and information about this show were the last things she'd written in the notebook she left on that bridge just before she jumped or fell to her death. I spoke with a pair of detectives in Seattle. I told them everything we'd learned about the woman who jumped or fell to her death and why we were interested in her. I showed them the video with the exorcist head twist and gave them Elliot Waters' contact information. The detectives were having a hard time coming to terms with exactly what I was talking about, but it seemed like they believed me, or at least they believed that what I was doing was actually producing a podcast. I could tell they were really starting to get suspicious. First, the stuff with Margot Kinghorn allegedly kidnapping a child and calling into this podcast, and now this. They definitely didn't want any of us leaving the country without telling them first. Apparently, Elliot Waters still had friends in governmental positions, and he was able to access certain information related to the investigation. The police were officially treating it as a suicide. The woman had been recently hospitalized for what they officially called dehydration, but apparently there was also some concern about her mental health before the incident. A few episodes back, we'd spoken to the landlord of the woman's building. He told me that he was going to give her husband my number. I never expected to hear back, especially considering what had just happened to his ex-wife, but I suppose if the police told him she'd been listening to this podcast before she died, the husband eventually reaching out to me made sense. Uh, hello, is it Bailey? It's Ryan, actually. Bailey's my last name. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, Alexi wrote it down wrong. That's fine. Thank you so much for calling. Sure. We've been hoping to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about how long it's taken. Things have been busy. The police told you that your wife was listening to this podcast just before her death? Yes. Uh, well, my wife had been going through some, some... Well, she'd been going through some issues for a long time, but she wasn't suicidal. She was actually excited. That's why she wanted to speak with you. Really? Absolutely, yes. She'd been lost for a long time, losing sleep, losing time and memory, having terrible dreams about certain things she felt she'd done, certain horrific, awful things that she definitely had nothing to do with, but I couldn't convince her. She, she changed. When she heard you were looking for her, and then she listened to your podcast, she was energized. I hadn't seen her like that for a long time. Once she heard Mr. Waters talking about his experience on your show, she seemed relieved, somehow. When was this? 
It was just before she died. She was going to call you later that day. The day she died? Yes. We're going to continue to look into what happened to Karen Ryerson, but for now, all we have is a woman who died under mysterious circumstances. A woman Elliot Waters believed was a changeling, or had been possessed by something called a changeling. A woman who, upon hearing about this theory on our podcast, appeared to be relieved. Her husband believed that it may have been hearing Waters talk about possession and missing time as those things related to something called a changeling that gave his wife newfound purpose and hope about her strange memory loss and behavior, if only for a brief period of time. Right now, we're headed back to where we left you at the end of our last episode. We're headed back to Kettle Falls. Kettle Falls is a small city in Stevens County, Washington, named after falls on the nearby Columbia River, which were an ancient and important spiritual and hunting area for the Native Americans. According to the United States Census in 2016, the population was just over 1,600 people. This 1,600 does not include members of the Family of Freedom who refused to participate in the census and everything else outside of their rigid religious belief system. Like I mentioned earlier, the Family of Freedom were an offshoot of the Dukabors. The Sons of Freedom were another offshoot of that spiritual Russian Christian sect. The Sons of Freedom protested using arson and nude marches, and were eventually ostracized by the formerly supportive Canadian government. Their leader, Peter Vergin, was assassinated by persons unknown in 1924. Coincidentally, 1924 was the same year the Family of Freedom first popped up in Washington State. Unlike the Sons of Freedom, the Family of Freedom were mostly peaceful. Aside from a few minor skirmishes over property borderlines, the family stayed away from the regular people, and the regular people kept their distance from the strangers in the strange clothing that lived on the edge of town. Eventually, the family began selling mushrooms, along with goat's milk, kefir, and cheese, and today, although they still maintain a completely separate existence, they are accepted as part of the local landscape. Margot Kinghorn grew up here, in Kettle Falls, a devout member of the Family of Freedom, until recently. Like I mentioned during our first segment on Kettle Falls, nobody from the Family of Freedom was willing to speak with me. This was disappointing, but not surprising. I was, however, eventually able to set up an interview with a former member of the family and friend of Margot Kinghorn. She's asked us not to reveal her name. How long have you lived here in Kettle Falls? I was born here. And when did you leave the church or the group? Two years ago. That must have been difficult. It's still difficult, every day. How long have you known Margot Kinghorn? She's a close friend, we grew up together. I understand Margot was born here as well. 
Yes. Do you mind me asking why you left the church? The same reason as Marco. What reason was that? The new doctrine. What do you mean? There was a change in leadership a few years ago and our group changed. Changed? How? We used to focus on prayer and purity of thought, preparing our vehicles for the coming apocalypse. Okay. But slowly, things began to change and eventually we became focused on something else. What? On opening a door. What kind of door? A door to the other side. The other place. What other place? The dark world. Can you tell me more about this dark world? No. Okay. Can you tell me why your group was so focused on opening this door? To let them in. To let who in? The other ones. The dark ones. What began as an exploration of devotion in the face of the end of days had become something else. So I left. What can you tell me about the missing children? I can tell you the police are the only ones who care. What do you mean? I mean, the missing children all belong, or belonged, I suppose, to the family. I don't understand. Understand this. Not one of the children were officially reported missing by the family. Not one of the parents is willing to speak with the police about what happened to their kids. Does that seem normal to you? What are you saying? I'm saying that those children were given to the others. I don't understand. They were surrendered to the ones on the other side. You're saying that the parents of these children sacrificed them somehow? That's exactly what I'm saying. The police must have looked into the families. Of course. They must have some leads or something. You're underestimating the capacity of the family to remain silent. But Margot had a lead. What kind of lead? She wouldn't say. But she was convinced she was getting close to figuring out who was responsible for what was happening to the children. Did Margot kidnap one of the children? I don't know. But I hope she did. What do you mean? I mean, if she did, that child might remain with us, safe here in this world. The police believe that Margot might be responsible for that kidnapping. The parents want that child back for one reason only. What do you mean? I mean, they want to give the child to the others. And Margot? What's Margot doing? She's trying to stop them. Stop them from doing what? From sacrificing the child and... And what? And from sharing that song. The night song? The song that steals the children. 
the song to end it all. Margot discovered that they were planning to spread it all over the world. Margot had apparently uncovered something she didn't like, something going on with the church elders out in the woods. When she began to suspect what was really happening to the children and confronted the elders, they told her that she was mistaken and that the children were in a safe place. Concerned by the fact that the children were going missing and that nobody within the Family of Freedom really seemed to care, Margot began investigating the elders. That's what led her to leave the church and eventually to contact us. Here's a message Margot sent to her friend just before she went on the run. I think I found out what they want, what they're doing. The things on the other side, the elders are trying to beat them. They believe they still want more. We have to protect the children. I believe the elders gave the night song to a publisher. They've hidden it among a bunch of other bedtime stories for children. They've paid for pressing and publication in advance. If they publish this book and parents read the night song to their children, terrible things will happen. It's gonna spread. The door is gonna open and the other things will come. It's a small publisher called in New Orleans. There's a, a symbol, kind of like a Freemason thing on the more esoteric books, a kind of flower with an X. I've seen it before on one of the books the elders keep in the quiet room. Please, you have to go. I think somebody's here. Hello? Who's there? Hey. Hey. Margot sent her friend a photo of the symbol she described in her message. I've shared everything with the police, of course, including Margot's message to her friend. They appear to be taking the disappearance of the child seriously, but I get the sense that they consider this community differently. The term cult-like behavior is mentioned a lot, and one of the investigating officers we spoke with mentioned a kind of Manson family vibe. Along with the police, I shared the photo that Margot had sent her friend with my producer, Nick Silver. It turns out he'd seen something similar before. The Malacetic Atlas. What's that? It's a weird old guidebook, kind of like the farmer's almanac of the weird and strange. Like the Atlas Obscura? Kind of, although not as contemporary or fancy. That's a great book. It's amazing. The Melisetic Atlas is a bit different. It's updated by a kind of open source collective that's impossible to pin down. There is a website, melisetticatlas.com, and a post office box address, but that's it. Who publishes the Atlas? Well, like I said, it's a loose collective, a kind of public service thing. The Brain Trust is allegedly in New Orleans, but the entries covered locations all over the world. Do you have a copy? Not anymore, sadly. 
but this symbol is printed on the spine and again on the first page of that book. The symbol Nick's referring to appears in the photograph Margot Kinghorn sent her friend, a photograph of a symbol she'd found connected to a small publishing house in a catalog of upcoming children's book titles, one of which is allegedly supposed to contain the night song or the earworm. Margot seemed extremely worried about this song spreading, and although it seemed pretty far-fetched, it was really the only thread I had to pull on. Or so I thought. So what do you know about this guy? It turns out I wasn't the only one digging into Elliot Waters. Well, I know he believes he used to work for a clandestine operation known as the department. You've covered all that stuff in amazing detail. Thanks. You're welcome. What I'm talking about are some of his more earthly concerns. Like what? Like his wife and daughter. I didn't know he was married. He's not, at least not anymore. Divorced? Widowed, actually. His daughter? Didn't survive the accident. What accident? There was a fire. Where? At Waters' house. Apparently, he was passed out in his car across the street at the time. Overworked or under the influence or both, there are conflicting reports. So he was passed out right across the street as his family burned to death? Yeah, pretty heavy. Yeah. I wasn't planning on bringing any of this stuff up with Waters. I was thinking about Margot Kinghorn and how she'd become convinced that her former cult or church was trying to get a murderous poem published in a book of children's bedtime stories in order to feed some ancient evil that wanted to enter and potentially destroy our world. I wasn't thinking about Karen Ryerson, the woman who had jumped or fallen to her death from that bridge, the woman Elliot Waters believed had been responsible for trying to have him killed while she had been possessed by a changeling. But then, Elliot Waters visited my apartment. He agreed to let me record our conversation. Okay, it's recording. Great. Seriously, I can stop it, if you mind. It's fine. I'll tell you what, it won't include anything. I don't run by you first. Thanks. So, what's on your mind? Karen Ryerson. It's terrible. I can't imagine falling from that height. I mean, whether she meant it or not, it... Yeah. The husband seemed like, it was almost like... It was like he'd lost her twice. That's it, exactly. Do you remember what her husband told you? That his wife had been lost for a long time, losing sleep, having terrible dreams, feeling she'd done horrible things? Yes. I've had those feelings. Well... That makes sense, we... No. I mean, I've had those exact feelings. What do you mean? I mean... I've been inhabited by a changeling.
You've been listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Fairy is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify. Fairy is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver and me, Ryan Bailey. Associate Producers, Carlene Bennett and David James. Executive Producers, Terry Miles and Hollis Adams-Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits, at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. For legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Fairy.